Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show here on the Four Persons Network. Thanks to all of you listening or watching wherever you may be all around the world. We have some great stuff happening here, um, here on the Four Persons. Man, I think Ken Litchfield, my good friend Ken Litchfield, is hitting it out of the park on Friday mornings with his apologetic show. I think it's just absolutely fantastic. He's doing great things. Uh, what a gift to the church. What a gift to us. Um, the way he answers objections in just a common sense and simplistic way really just helps hit, hit the point home. And what a great interview this past week with Jacob Woods. Well, guys, today on this program, we're going to talk about one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. We're going to talk about the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at and the at the well in John chapter four. There is so much to dive into in on this topic, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to deep dive. You know, that's one of my favorite sayings on this show, right? We're going to deep dive. We're gonna we're gonna look into the cultural context, the ancient Near East context. We're gonna look at all kinds of stuff to really break down what happened with this conversation because it's much more than what our modern lenses say it is so let's get to it so the gospel of john is is a gospel that helps us understand who jesus is it has a higher christology uh than the than the synoptics the synoptics are matthew mark and luke and it was the last gospel written and so we have some key things happening in this gospel um here's just a couple the personification of God's word in the person of Christ. And we also have this parallelism with the book of Genesis that kind of linked that idea together. So the two books start off similarly, you know, in the beginning, etc. Go check it out if you haven't heard that before. And one of the most popular accounts in this gospel is this interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. And when we read this account, there are many feelings that you may experience, many things that go through our minds. First and foremost, it continues this theme of the previous two stories in John about Gentiles coming to faith. And it also depicts Jesus fleeing persecution from the Pharisees because he was getting more disciples than John the Baptist. And we also see a series of social and historical clues that sometimes go overlooked. That's really what I want to look at today. One thing that we know for sure, though, is that this interaction is a pivotal point in the ministry of our Lord. He was interacting with a woman at a well that was alone. He was in Samaria. And a theological discussion about proper worship breaks out. And lastly, we have one of the most clear declarations that Jesus makes about his identity. Through it all, our Lord puts aside the various prejudices of the day to show love, mercy, and really the blueprint on how to evangelize. Now, to understand this passage, we need to know who the Samaritans are. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, which fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. When the Assyrian government conquered the northern kingdom, they deported many Israelites and, and then Gentiles came into the land. So the, for, the foreigners came in, they married the Israelites and mixed their religion with the religion of Israel. 
Now, there is a tradition that states that the Samaritans were the descendants of Shechem. We read about Shechem in Genesis uh, chapter 34 and Sirach 50. And he raped Dina, who was the daughter of Jacob. Now, the Samaritans deny this accusation and claim to be the descendants of Joseph via Manasseh and Ephraim. So they each claim to be faithful Israelites and called the other apostates. So ethnic origin was definitely a contributing factor to the hostility between the Samaritans and the Israelites. Now, however, it was also strained because of the religious differences between the two. So as a result, Samaritans avoided Jews and Jews avoided the Samaritans. Samaritans believed that God was to be worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Eventually, this would be moved to Shiloh, and so they broke the command that was given to them. From a scripture standpoint, they only acknowledged the Pentateuch as scripture. So that's the first five books of the Bible. And they, they did not accept the prophets or the other writings of the Old Testament. Now, there were conflicts between the two groups as well, which involved each other's temple. John Hyrcanus led an army into Samaria and destroyed their temple. The Samaritans also killed pilgrims to Jerusalem on occasion and also tried to defile the temple in Jerusalem. So there is a very quick background on the beef that goes on between the two. <laughs> All right, a lot going on just right there. Now, it's not the intent of this show to provide like a thorough exegesis or exposition of this passage. But it is helpful to go through verse by verse as much as possible to give the vital background information that's important in this interaction. All right, there's a lot in these verses that goes unseen by the average layperson in the pew and honestly by a lot of leadership. But by digging into this, um, we're going to get a whole new understanding of the text. So John chapter 4 verse 1 begins with Jesus and his disciples. Um, they left on they left Judea in route to Galilee. John is careful to say that they had to go through Samaria in verse 4. Josephus gives us some information on this journey, not the particular journey of Christ, but on going to Samaria. This would have been a three-day journey if one would go through Samaria. There was a longer way which consisted of following crossing the Jordan River into the town of Perea. Now, it had been previously thought that the situation between the Jews and Samaritans was so bad that Jews would not pass through. However, Josephus tells us, he gives us a lot of evidence saying that many Jews traveled through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. So this was, this was the preferred route for many. In verses 4 through 6, we read that Jesus and his disciples came to the town of Sichar or Sichar, depending on how you want to pronounce it, at the sixth hour of the day, at the site of Jacob's well. Sichar is most often identified as the village of Askar. This village is on the base of Mount Ebal, which is opposite of Mount Gerizim. However, others identify it with Shechem, which is about 250 feet away from the well. Well, the, the former was closer to a mile away. The site of Jacob's well is one that is still prominent today. If you ever go on the tour of the Holy Land, this is one of the sites that one may choose to go to. Now, as far as archaeological sites go, 
its location is certain. Like we know it's Jacob's well. The well is deep, with some estimates being between 85 to 100 feet deep. The well is unique in that the water is not stagnant, but taps into a running stream that still yields water. Now, John tells us that Jesus stops at this well at the sixth hour. That's in John uh, chapter 4, verse 6. So to put it in our terms, this is noon, and the heat of the day was having an impact. Jesus was hot. It was a hot day. He had been traveling for six hours already. They didn't have cars. Remember, this was by foot. So he was hot, tired, and he, he stopped at the well to rest. And it was not uncommon in those times to start a journey at sunrise. The journey was done by walking, and it was exhausting. It was also common to retreat inside around this time to take cover from the heat of the day. And so you would refresh yourself with food, drink, and maybe even a nap. Now, it was at this time that the Samaritan woman enters the picture. And this is seen in John chapter 4, verse 7. With everyone taking shelter to avoid the heat, she does the opposite and goes to the well. This broke the standard convention of doing things. Going to the well was a social time, and women would often go to the well in a group, and they would go in the morning to avoid the heat of the day. The fact that she was alone indicates that she was a social outcast, and that would be revealed later on in John chapter 4. Now, in the ancient world, a well was a place of encounter. There are examples of this in the book of Genesis. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 24, there is the encounter that the servant of Abraham had with Rebekah in Genesis 29 with Rachel. To put it bluntly, sometimes one would go to the well to find a spouse. When the Samaritan woman arrived at the well while Jesus was there, that was like the scandal of the day. Jewish men did not talk to women in public, and a Samaritan woman was even worse as they were considered unclean. Nevertheless, Jesus looks past cultural norms and asks for a drink. Understandably, the woman is surprised since a Jew is not only alone with her at the well, but is talking with her, speaking with her. John hints, John hints at this when he states, quote, and he says this in verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, though this is the case, there were some exceptions made, as his own disciples demonstrated. Uh, so, food, for example. What follows is a conversation about living water. This happens when the Samaritan woman balks at Jesus' request for water, and Jesus responds with his statement about living water in John chapter 4, verse 10. In a stunning move, she asks if Jesus thinks he is better than Jacob, since Jacob gave a well with running water. Running water was considered living water. In the technical sense, living water is water that is clean or fresh, but there's a little bit more at play here. Early Jewish literature, such as First Enoch and Jubilees, among others, depict water as a life-giving symbol. Still, others place, other places such as for Ezra and the Apocalypse of Abraham depict living water as anything living. And this can also include plant life as it's a symbol of restoration and life. There, there was also a rabbinic tradition that spoke of the Torah as God's gift of living water. 
And so John expertly uses double meaning here, and his audience in the first century would have caught it. In verse 12, we get a glimpse at one of the disputes between Samaritans and Jews. The Samaritan woman brings up Jacob as being the father of the people. The Jewish people would also claim the same. The Jewish teaching of the time was that the Jews were purebred, so so to speak, okay, they were purebred, while the Samaritans contained much non-Jewish blood. And Josephus points this out at length in his, his work, Antiquities of the Jews. Josephus essentially calls the Samaritans dishonest and says that when the Samaritans stand to benefit from something, they say that they descend from Joseph. Now, the Samaritans do claim to be descended from Joseph, but through his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Jesus makes a big claim in John chapter 4, verse 14, about anyone who drinks of his water, that they will never thirst again. This is what he says. End quote. Quote, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. End quote. Now, this would have sounded familiar to the Jewish audiences since it brought to mind Sirach chapter 24, verse 21. The woman takes Jesus literally here and wants this water so she does not have to carry the large vessels on her head during the heat of the day. But the conversation takes a turn. And this conversation takes a turn in verses 16 through 19. But there are some historical nuances here that are important. Jesus asked the woman to bring her husband, and she says that she does not have one. To our modern ears, this sounds like not much is happening. However, the well, the wells of the time were our water coolers in the office today. It's where conversation happened. Wells were also places that one would go to to find a spouse. For example, another example, Exodus chapter 2. The question that Jesus asked her about her husband could have been construed as a flirtatious act by the woman. Married women also traditionally wore a head covering, and she may not have been wearing one. Now the woman has no husband, and Jesus tells her what is in her past. She has had five husbands, and this was a problem at the time. Really, it's a problem today, but society says something different. People would think there was something wrong with her if she was divorced or widowed that many times. It was rabbinic tradition that one should not marry more than three times. Now, she was also living with someone, and Jesus brings this to the forefront. This was taboo during the time, and there was no such thing as common law marriages. Marriage in that time carried with it economic protections for the wife. But since there was no marriage, this was not the case. And so the Samaritan woman sees the truth and declares that Jesus is a prophet. Now, the Samaritans only saw the Pentateuch as inspired. And they looked to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, as a source of messianic prophecy. They believed in a Messiah-like figure known as the Teheb, that's T-A-H-E-B. 
This was the prophet that would arise that would be greater than Moses. With no other claims of a prophet, this makes Jesus the Messiah figure the Samaritans were waiting for. The woman then goes into another issue that divided Jews and Samaritans. That's the issue of worship. The Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Now, this was a historical mountain and is said to be the mountain that Abraham climbed to sacrifice Isaac. The Samaritans built a temple of the mountain on the mountain that was destroyed by John Hyrcanus. And though that temple was destroyed, the mountain was still viewed as sacred. The rift was so strong between the two people groups that Samaritans were not welcome in the Jerusalem temple. So in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus brings to mind Psalm 145, 18, which says that the Lord is near to those who call on him in truth. Though Jesus affirms the correctness of the Jewish version of salvation, that's in verse 22, that's not the barrier. Jesus speaks of the future when people will worship in spirit and truth. Now, this is something we take for granted in the 21st century. At this time, it was believed that all prophecy had ceased. So this prophecy from Jesus would have been heard loud and clear by his listeners. And John chapter 4, verse 23 also brought to mind wisdom, chapter 6, verse 16, which discussed wisdom seeking those who are worthy. Jesus, being personified wisdom, saw this woman at the well as worthy. That's huge. In verse 25, we read about the woman discussing how the Messiah is coming and how he will teach. This is important because the Samaritans believe that the Messiah would come in the form of a teacher and wouldn't necessarily be a Davidic king. Jesus used the language of the divine name of Exodus, I am. As a Samaritan, the woman knew the story of Moses and already said that Jesus was the prophet. There was also a common idiom in speech during the time where the hearer waited for a dramatic time to make the final reveal. So, just to conclude this. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 36 is a huge, very important piece of scripture where Jesus gives an evangelistic outline and seeks one whom society has ostracized. So by looking into the backgrounds and looking into the culture and the ethnic groups, it helps us understand what's going on here a little more. It brings a whole new meaning and allows one to feel what the Samaritan woman is feeling and how much, our, how much love Jesus has for her because he has that love for us. He saw this woman as worthy of him. How, how often do we feel unworthy? And I, I'm right there with you. I feel that way a lot of times as well. But we are worthy. Jesus said we are worthy. You know, when we partake of the Eucharist on Sunday mornings at Mass, or any day during Mass, we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the words and my soul shall be healed. The woman in this scenario was considered unclean by Jewish culture. She was married five times. She was living with someone. Jesus still came to her. Now, 
later on in the story read about how obviously she came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. She went and evangelized her town and Jesus stayed in the town, which for any Jewish man would have rendered them unclean and unworthy of being in the temple. But here is our Lord and Savior talking to this woman who's ostracized by society. She is changed. And she gets the courage to go and change her town, change her known world because of something that Jesus did for her. Is that something you and I are willing to do? Sometimes we go to mass and we walk out the door and we just get on with our lifestyle. Mass is just the beginning. We continue on during the week. We leave there. Maybe we go to lunch and we're treating the waiter or waitress badly. How is that showing how Jesus changed us? We should be like this this woman, the Samaritan woman here, leaving Mass and going into our homes, our cities, our towns, our states, our workplaces, and making changes. Showing what Christ has done for us. Every time I read this passage, I get fired up. One, because I realize I'm falling short. And so I constantly need to rely on the grace of God to do it. Secondly, guys, there's a world outside here that is hurting. They need Jesus. They need Jesus like the Samaritan woman needed Jesus, like her town needed Jesus. May we never think that someone is unworthy. Because Jesus doesn't think that. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you learned something. God bless you. We'll catch you next week.